We are wrapping up our series titled Compromise Christianity, and over the last several weeks, we've been looking into different ways that we compromise living out our faith in Jesus. Over these weeks, we've learned how the world around us, and oftentimes, the sinful nature within us, push us towards compromising components of our faith. The goal of this series has been to expose ways our faith is susceptible to compromise and learn how to better hold our ground as we live in a world that constantly pushes against us. This past week, we celebrated an amazing holiday called Valentine's Day, uh, where many of us received gifts that were very heartfelt, and many of us received gifts that were underwhelming. Throughout our lives, we, pardon me, throughout our lives, uh, we are given a bunch of special gifts and sometimes gifts that don't mean too much to us, but uh, they might collect dust in a closet or collect dust in a pantry, but ultimately, there are some gifts that we receive that matter and that we use for a long time. Over 10 years ago, I was given, given an amazing gift that would not only impact my life, but change the lives of countless others. This gift was a quesadilla maker. <laughs> now, I'm going to apologize in advance uh, for all the lactose intolerant people in this room. This illustration uh, might be a hard one to swallow. Uh, Pun intended, sorry, I had to throw it in there. But, but you have no idea how amazing this piece of cooking equipment is, especially for an incredibly lazy cook like myself. Uh, no more dirtying pans, no more having to do dishes, no more flipping the quesadilla and then losing components of the cheese on the pan. Uh, no more having to try to cut it into perfect little triangles. It does it all for you. It's amazing. It allows for eating and making a quesadilla to be an incredibly accomplishing experience. This gift was so special that it still makes its mark in the Vriesman family today. In fact, I brought it here with me. This is my quesadilla maker from a gift exchange over 10 years ago. Now, you have no idea how many lives this thing has made an impact on. Not only has it provided marginal nutrition for myself, but it's also uh, been given to friends to eat with me. It's gone to all-nighters. It's gone to parties. It's provided instant gratification for children at dinner. So many people have been impacted by this one quesadilla maker. It's a gift that has been used. I'm going to put this away. It's a little greasy still, so I do one of these things. It is a gift that has been used, used well, and used in a way that impacted the lives of others. All joking aside, there is something special about a gift when it's used well, used often, and used to impact the lives of other people. I lightheartedly mention my quesadilla maker, but sadly, all of us have received greater gifts, talents, and resources than a quesadilla maker. 
gifts, talents, and resources that we have allowed to sit by the wayside, collecting, collecting dust in a pantry or closet. Things we keep to ourselves. When we don't use and utilize what we've been given, we compromise the potential impacts our gifts could have on the world around us. When we're not faithful with what God has given, we compromise the way that we are called to live out our faith. Our scripture today comes from everyone's favorite and least controversial book, Revelation. And our passage is from Revelation 3, verses 14 through 20. And so would you all please stand and rise and face the center of the room? Uh, our scripture reader for this week is Terry Downs. And uh, we read from the center of the, of the room to remind us that God's word is to be central in our lives and that it is to be uh, the, uh, the primary lens in which we use to determine how we live. So Terry, whenever you're ready, go ahead and get started. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. For those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Thank you, Terry. You can all be seated. The book of Revelation was written by John on the island of Patmos. And while there, he received a revelation from Jesus and was directed to send what was unveiled to him to seven churches. These churches were located in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. All of these churches were located in Greco-Roman cities in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, as you can see on the map there. That's where it is. Um, these churches were constantly faced with pressure to compromise the way that they lived out their faith. They compromised, they were, they were pushed with pressure to compromise the way that they were to follow Jesus and conform to the cultural norms of the Roman Empire. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation include letters that are specifically written to each church, but are also meant to eventually be circulated amongst all of them. In John's prophetic letter to the church in Laodicea, we see Jesus calling for that church to repent for the ways that they have compromised their community of faith. The ways that they had become lukewarm. Verse 15 and 16 of our passage say, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. These two verses right here are frequently misused or taken out of context for what they really mean. There's been many youth group sessions about this passage where students are told, hey, you have to be on fire for God because if you're only lukewarm, then, then you may as well be cold. That's not what the passage is saying. The compromise found here is not in our actual faith in Jesus, but in multiple layers of faithfulness. When we look at the compromise of the church in Laodicea, we find that there are different layers of their faithfulness that have been compromised. In verse 15 and 16, Jesus unveils that first layer, and it's their deeds. Jesus provides the church an opportunity to look at the impact their deeds have had on the world around them. And he would do so in a way they would understand. He described the fruit of their deeds as neither hot nor cold, but this middle ground of lukewarm. To help us have a greater understanding of the impact this message had on the church in Laodicea requires us having a better understanding of the city and its surrounding regions. Laodicea was located in the Lycus River Valley. In this valley, there were two other cities in it uh, within close proximity that made somewhat of a tri-city um, triangle. And six miles one way was Heropolis, and 10 to 11 miles the other way was Colossae. All three cities had different strengths. Colossae was a city located at the foot of a mountain called Mount Cadmus. And the city was well known for its ice-cold streams of water that came from the ice peaks of the mountain. And Heropolis was renowned for its hot, healing hot springs. And it's kind of cool. I, when I went to Turkey, I actually got to be able to see those, those, uh, those hot healing waters myself. It's, it's beautiful. People struggling with arthritis, skin diseases, uh, medical issues, uh, traveled far and near to soak in these hot healing waters of Heropolis. But Laodicea was not well known for its use of water. In fact, it had a huge water problem. They didn't have a source of water in their city, so it had to be piped in through an aqueduct system from another city. The result was a lukewarm water that tasted so bad, it made people sick. Despite its water issues, though, it was the most powerful of all three cities. It was well known for being a banking center, for its production of rare black wool used in fashionable clothing. Its medical school that produced an ISAV uh, capable of helping healing. Because of Laodicea's resources, it was renowned for its self-reliance. When John references, you are neither hot nor cold. 
he uses the picture of these three cities and their water to paint a picture of the impact the deeds of the church were having on the community around them. What they did was neither like the hot waters of Heropolis that brought healing, restoration, and comfort, nor were they like the cold waters of Colossae which provided refreshment to the community. They were like the lukewarm, bad-tasting water of their own city that was useless and helped nobody. This water metaphor shows us a lack of impact or usefulness that the church's deeds had around them. As followers of Jesus, what we do matters. Our deeds reflect what we believe and the desires of our hearts. They are the tangible product of the transformation that Jesus is making inside of us. What's being said here was that their deeds were not showing the impact of Christ in their lives. Their deeds were useless. But what was making the results of their deeds so useless? Verse 18 helps us answer that question. You say, I am rich I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? What made the church of Laodicea's deeds useless is that it came from a place of self-reliance and pride. It says, you say, I am rich. It says, I have acquired wealth. They started believing that the blessings and the gifts that they had and used were from themselves. They had compromised their reliance on God. When we look at the end of verse 17, the church is told that instead of rich, they are poor, blind, and naked. Do you see the message Jesus is sending here? He's attacking the very things that made the city feel so self-reliant and prideful. Banking, you're poor. Eye medicine, you're blind. And clothing, you're naked. The church had begun adopting the self-reliant nature of the city. And I'm going to bet we do the same thing with culture around us. We adopt what it's telling us. Their compromised reliance on God created a greater entitlement to do whatever they wanted with all they had, and it led to their deeds becoming more and more self-serving. All that really mattered was making sure they could take care of themselves. I think one of the greatest pictures of this is a two- to three-year-old child now, I happen to have one. Her name is Louisa. She's a three-year-old, and she is uh, equally parts sassy and sweet. Uh, but there's something that happens around that time is everything that they touch becomes mine, right? We all know it, right? You touch this toy, it's mine. You find some food, mine. You find mom's necklace, mine. And there's something else that happens is they have this longing to do everything themselves, I can do it. 
right? So if you, if you need to get dressed for the day, I can get dressed for the day. Oh, I want to get a snack. I can do it. But you know what happens, and this is how it works in my life, is my daughter decides she wants to get herself dressed and ends up looking like the bird lady from Home Alone 2. There's a false sense of self-reliance there. This is something we all struggle with, though. We like to take pride and ownership over the things that God has given us, the blessings that God has given us. But we need to be careful because this leads us down a road where we start believing we are responsible for everything we have achieved. It leads us down a path where our deeds become more and more self-serving. It's all about us. When we compromise our reliance on God, we start to find our thoughts, our motives, and our intentions become more and more self-centered. And as we become more self-centered, we begin engaging the world in a way that is more and more beneficial to us. When we believe that it is us who got us to where we are now, we grow an entitlement to our blessings. How often do we find ourselves doing what's best for us before even contemplating what's doing what's going to be best for others? In what ways do we find ourselves compromising our reliance on God? Is it in our finances, our health, our careers, our relationships? our families. The deeds of the church of Laodicea had been compromised by their self-reliance and pride. The church had forgotten the source of their gifts, talents, and resources. Jesus wanted the church to get back to practicing the way they were supposed to, having the mentality that all they had, all they needed, all they did came from him. Verse 18 of our passage says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. To address the self-reliance and pride issue of these people, Jesus counsels the church to buy from him gold to be rich, white clothes to cover their nakedness, and eye salve so they can see. Once again, all of these examples speak to what the city took pride in and speak to their self-reliance. Jesus was inviting them to quit relying on themselves Quit relying on what the world has to offer you. Quit believing that they're the ones and you're the ones providing it. And partner with me. And all that they do, all they say, all they have. Jesus' response unveils the core or foundational layer of compromise of the church. The church in Laodicea had compromised collaborating with God in using those gifts, 
talents and resources that he had blessed them with. Jesus was pleading with the church to partner with him to use the things they'd been given. The church had failed in their faithfulness. They failed to partner with God in what he had given them. Being part of a rich and self-reliant city had compromised their ability to, and willingness to look outside themselves and to help others to use what they could use and to use it for the glory of God. Collaborating with God involves remembering that all that we've been gifted comes from him. It starts there. It involves using what we've been given from him to bless the world around us, to make the world a better place. And it involves us using what he has given us to further his kingdom. We are called to do good deeds. Those good deeds are called to help others. And those good deeds should also bring others to the family. The core message that Jesus was delivering was that they needed to partner with God to be good stewards with what he has given them. And he's asking us to do the same. Inside this room, there are so many amazing people with so many amazing skills and resources to share with the world. And not only share with the world, but to make his name known. Whether you're a mechanic, a CPA, a dairyman, a doctor, a plumber, a store clerk, a housewife, a politician, or you own a quesadilla maker, we are meant to use what we have been given to impact the world. When we compromise collaborating with God, there's a domino effect of compromised faithfulness. We begin compromising our reliance on him, which then affects the impact and usefulness of our deeds. When we look at the church in Laodicea, we find that what they compromised was their collaboration with our Savior. They compromised using what they'd been given to make a difference in the world and expand the kingdom. They had not been faithful stewards with what God gave them. But God was not finished with them. And he's not finished with us either. In verse 19 and 20, it says this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Whenever we are failing at being faithful collaborators with God. We always have the opportunity to meet him again, to earnestly repent and try another time. Jesus is constantly 
opening, uh, he's at the doorsteps of our lives and he's knocking. He's ready to partner with us in the different gifts and talents and resources that we have. But he's not going to knock the door down. He's too kind and loving. We have to open it for him. What are the gifts? What are the talents? What are the resources that God has blessed us with, you with, me with? In what ways could God be calling you to a greater collaboration with him? We are called to make a difference in the world by collaborating with what God has given us. Just like Jesus, compromise is always knocking on our door. It's pushing and challenging us to give up ground in our faith. It's blurring the lines of faith and morality. It's drawing us to extracurricular activities instead of our faith community. It's filling us with anxiety and a false sense of fulfillment. It's keeping us from moving forward in forgiveness. And it's blocking us from collaborating with the God who has given us everything. TFRC, we have an amazing opportunity individually and communally to take a stand against the issues that compromise Christianity, that compromise our faith. We have the opportunity to cling to God's word in a way that will continue to transform our lives, in a way that we greater reflect Jesus in all of our deeds, so that we can partner with him in not only making the world a greater place, but expanding the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we ask and we pray that you uh, put a fire in our hearts to use what it is you've given us to greater impact those around us. God, help us to be faithful stewards with what you have provided and to live in a way where our deeds bring others closer to you. God, we love you. And we just ask that if maybe we've had a season where we haven't been living that way, uh, give us courage just to open the door and let you in. We love you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's close with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.